0: Hello and again welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is Anna Littlejohn. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm excited to have you. Who are you and what do you do?
1: So that's a great question. I ask myself that every morning um, in terms of work. Right now, I am the assistant chief editor for the Black Times OK, which is a local black and queer owned media production company. So we call ourselves activism journalists. We cover anything from local county corruption to state issues that have gain national attention. Mm-hmm. And then besides that, I am the environmental and climate justice chair for the Oklahoma State NAACP. And then in my free time, mm-hmm. I am the keyboardist for a local band named Burl.
0: Yeah. Uh, and also recently another band, but that one broke out. Yeah. Was Street Vines.
1: Carnations yeah. Was, my, mm-hmm. was my first project. And we ended back in October. All of our lives started to change. And mm. yeah, we all found different opportunities and I like that band. Yeah. Yeah. We were fun. I had a great time, but sad to see it go, but excited for what's to come. Yeah.
0: Um, so I guess, uh, which of these do you consider to be your, like, what defines you in a way?
1: So in terms of the Street Carnations and Burl, um, the Street Carnations, um, we kind of started back when I met my friend Josh. And he was like, yeah, I I write songs. And I was like, cool, I play the piano. So maybe we could like Mm -hmm. do something. And so we kind of just built a band out of nothing. Um, And then it was July of this year. I played a house show. And Jordan Vargas, the frontman of (laughs) Burrow, just approached me as soon as we got done playing. He was like, we've been looking for someone to play keys and sing harmonies. Would you be down? And I was like, flustered from just playing like a show outside 90 degrees Mm. (laughs) I was like yeah sure whatever
0: yeah (laughs) and then yeah it worked out for the best I'm having a great time as you probably quickly learned everyone is desperate for a keys player yeah which (laughs) it was kind of
1: unexpected I didn't really think that typically whenever people are looking for someone to join a band it's like drummers are like the hot commodity Mm -hmm. that you can never find like street carts didn't have a drummer for four or five months after we started. Mm-hmm. And Josh, the frontman of the street carts, his dad played the drums for our very first show at Red Brick, <laughs> <laughs> which was, I mean, it was fun. He did a great job, but it was just like, you know, three people in their early twenties and then an old yeah. guy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But he was killer. He did a great job. So. Yeah. Um, but no, I was, so I guess going all the way back, how'd you get started in music?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, well, I was five years old and my mother put me in piano lessons. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, piano lessons always ran in the family. Um, my mom did it. Her mom did it. All of her sisters, my brother. And then after doing the piano for a little bit, I was like, let's try something new. Mm-hmm. So I started on the violin, did that for a couple of years. Then when I got to middle school, joined band, did the flute, then oboe, then played the um piano for jazz band then i graduated high school went to ou for just a second did music comp that was not my thing mm. and then uco acm and yeah. started learning a bit about music production getting you know a little bit behind the scenes instead of up on the stage and that was really cool i, I liked it a lot learned a lot yeah <laughs> so yeah and then after acm everything kind of just calmed down i worked on some of my own solo stuff for a while most of the stuff I do is electronic, mostly just MIDI, just me messing around in my studio. Yeah. And yeah, that led me to the street carts and then the street carts led me to Burl.
0: Yeah. Uh, I feel like every producer has their own like weird electronic stuff. Exactly. That, like- <laughs> exactly. I do. I use Logic. Pro Tools is cool, but not so much for MIDI.
1: <laughs> so Logic is where I hang out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Have a good time.
0: I use Ableton. I, I use Pro Tools for audio. Uh, that's just because, like, it's the best for audio. But, like, if I could not have to use Pro Tools, I probably wouldn't.
1: <laughs> right. Pro Tools is great for, like, stuff like this. And then, like, if you've got a full band. Mm-hmm. But if you've got anything that's, like, MIDI, kind of, like, analog, a little bit of weird synth stuff, you kind of want to, like, switch
0: bases for that. Yeah. But. <laughs> um, so, I guess you were, I mean, were you forced to play piano? Do you feel like you still like playing piano? Because that's a weird thing about whenever you start in lessons so young.
1: So, yeah, whenever I was young, I was just like, okay, this is, it felt so, like, formal. And I was like, the piano, like, that's not cool. Like, that's not exciting. But... um Yeah. And I I kind of drifted away from it for a while. Like I I really wanted to learn how to play lots of different instruments. Um, And then whenever um, jazz band became a thing, I was like, I I guess I remember how to play the piano. (laughs) So I kind of like retaught myself everything that I had learned before. And yeah, for a while I was like, piano is so lame. Like, (laughs) even like on stage, like playing a keyboard when everybody else has a guitar. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I'm stationary. You don't have a lot of like, you know, room to move. But I really like it now. Like, I'm super comfortable with it. And yeah, I've just been doing it for so long that it's basically second nature now. Yeah. Which, Mm -hmm. which makes it easy. And I kind of like... I try not to talk down on myself for not being able to play the guitar <laughs> because like you know what you already know and using what you already know to you know further yourself and make something beautiful
0: is yeah is good enough so yeah well also you're able to kind of do really cool things on piano that guitars can't do so exactly yeah.
1: and anytime i do play the guitar like i know the basic chords like g chord i stay there <laughs> but i'll i'll run my guitar through you know my computer different interfaces make it sound not like a guitar anymore yeah. and you can't tell how bad i am at playing it because yeah. i do that so <laughs> there's always ways to incorporate everything especially mm-hmm. when i'm doing my own little projects so.
0: yeah oh. Um, who are your biggest musical influences?
1: I knew that this question was coming <laughs> and I was I was really trying to think about it. Um so the music that I listen to, I don't necessarily stay in one genre too hard. I kind of I like to branch out with every different thing. So in terms of my own personal music biggest influence, I really like Purity Ring. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, a little like Electronic pop-ish duo from Canada, which I don't know why Canada is so good at electronic music, but they are. They've got a lot of really good artists that come out of there.
0: It's too cold, so you don't want to be outside. So they just stay inside and just make electronic music. <laughs>
1: exactly. And the the sounds that they have and the rhythms that they play... Um, just like breaking down their songs you don't hear a lot of chord structure Mm -hmm. it's a lot of melodies kind of leading the way that the song goes and that's kind of how i've i kind of start writing music Mm -hmm. so i i look to them a lot for the types of sounds that they use and all that stuff
0: yeah yeah Uh, that's kind of interesting because uh again like thinking of your foundation in keys like that is a very chordal instrument yes
1: yes it is and chords for a while were like my enemy with the piano like a melody i can play that all day i think it's because playing like a woodwind when you're only playing the melody line and then like switching that over to the piano was relatively easy and then whenever i joined a band and they were just giving me these chord charts i was like do i know this (laughs) and so for a minute there i had to like think back on like the music theory stuff that we learned in school i was like yeah
0: I know this. Mm-hmm.
1: This is simple. So, yeah.
0: Um, let's see, where where else am I going? Uh, yeah, let's go into, uh, I guess, what were you listening to whenever you first started making music and how has that sort of shaped where you are now? <laughs>
1: when I first started making music, oh my gosh, it's hard to think. <laughs> it's so long ago. Mm-hmm. I kind of started making... Um, My own stuff, I want to say, like, my junior year of high school. So junior year of high school is definitely never anybody's, like, prominent time in their life. And if it was, then I feel sorry for them. (laughs) So I was listening to a lot of, like, I don't want to say terrible bands, but, like... (laughs) you know, some things that I'm not necessarily proud of this day and age. I I listened to a lot of pop punk whenever I was in high school. Um, No shame in pop punk. (laughs) I mean, I love it. It's a great time. Um, yeah, for a while, I I really liked that. And I, I was trying to figure out how, like, I could fit a keyboard into that type of situation. Yeah. You don't see a lot of keys in, you know, traditional pop punk bands. And it started to become a more prominent thing, I guess. Um, I know you remember back in, like, 2012 when Dubstep hit the world oh, yeah. and suddenly every single song had a drop in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... That's whenever, you know, electronic music and rock music at least started to sort of like mix Mm -hmm. in a more obvious, visible way. Yeah. And so I was able to take more inspiration from that type of thing and, yeah, push myself forward. But anytime I write a song, I typically start with something super simple, like super simple chord progression that I either came up with on the piano or the guitar. Mm -hmm. And then I just build from there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, dubstep disappeared and we're just like pretending that it, it did never happen. Happen. Oh, but it happened, but it's like a huge influence on like, especially people our age. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was wild. Like Skrillex, Scary Sprites and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that song. It was, it was everywhere for so long and I wasn't really, you know, heavy into the dubstep scene. scene, but it, it came into everything. Yeah. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I've been noticing, at least with pop music. It's like we we get these new genres that pop up every occasion. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's in the mainstream and everybody's trying to use it for something. Yeah. So now it's trap. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now everybody's trying to have a little rap song, which Mm -hmm. is fine. We love it. But
0: yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But it does get old after a while. Oh, it does. (laughs) And
1: so we're always waiting for the next, you know, big thing to drop and then we'll we'll move on to the next. Yeah. I think it's hyper pop.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: right now especially.
0: <laughs> um. So then, yeah, let's get into all of your journalism stuff. How did you get involved with uh, the Black Times?
1: So yeah that that's a that's a good question. So <laughs> last summer we saw the George Floyd protests taking place all over the world. Like they were doing this in France. They did it all across the country. And Oklahoma City was no exception. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously as a black person, it's something that we've always been aware of. We knew it was there. And suddenly we had this video um, of a cop pressing his knee into the back of a man's neck in a very prone position, like not a position that you're in to stay for a long time. And so... Instead of it being like, um, we're used to seeing black men being shot by the police. Mm -hmm. And this was drastically different. So it sparked something in everybody that, you know, we we'd all been inside for a couple of months. The pandemic just hit. We were feeling very controlled Mm -hmm. kind of by our government. And so, yeah, we all hit the streets. And I it it was just something that I I clicked with. And so I spent a lot of my free time just Mm -hmm. like joining different organizations, getting involved, staying in the streets, going to local county meetings. And um, I was actually at a street mural project right in front of the county jail. Um, And that's where I met Ty Baker, who's the founder of the Black Times, And he kind of just like approached me. He was like, hey, I found you on Instagram (laughs) and I wanted to know if you wanted to collab in some way. And I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, I'd love to do that. But I I didn't really know how I would fit into that. I never did journalism. I didn't do any type of writing, any type of blogging before this. But um, Ty, he was making videos. He wanted to make a documentary about what was happening. And I was like, well, if you're taking videos of everything that's going on, why don't I write a recap of everything that's happening? Mm-hmm. So he would record videos of what was going on. And then every Sunday I would wi- I would write, um, I called it the weekend analysis. And it was a newsletter that we sent out every single Sunday night, mm-hmm. just a recap of what was going on. And then from that, people really liked having the information information immediately so we sort of morphed into this news publication Mm -hmm. which we didn't really see coming it's kind of just what people needed from us so we we filled that void and it's honestly been really fun it's it's really hard work um you get to see people's trauma on a level that i i had never experienced before i've talked to so many different families who have lost people to police brutality, um, mostly in Oklahoma. There's um, a man named Brian Sims Jr. And in 2013, he was asleep outside of a Chief Keef concert at the Mm -hmm. farmer's market downtown. And he was approached by two off-duty police officers who um, proceeded to shoot and kill him. They shot at him nine times in the back. And he wasn't even from Oklahoma. Like Mm -hmm. he had come down here to visit his stepdaughter And he was supposed to go back the next day, but that, that never happened. Mm -hmm. So we talked to his mom. I talked to his mom still. She's a, Mm -hmm. she's an amazing lady. She's unbelievably strong and gone through things that I, I could never, I could never fathom. And so learning about Brian through her and about the situation and how it's affected her is just something that it was the first time that I really broke down while covering something Mm -hmm. It was we were all in a Zoom call and I it was the very end and I was just like in full tears and I like unmuted myself. I said, I need you to know that even though you're not from here and Brian's not from here, like we are advocating for him every single day. Like we will not stop until there is true justice. It's incredibly important that you know that. And yeah, it was it was super emotional. And she thanked us. And I still try to I still try to stay in touch with her. Um, because she's trying to do a lot of work with um, the court of appeals to try to get the application of qualified immunity overturned because even though those cops were off duty they received qualified immunity and all of their legal fees paid for by the city Yeah. so that's our tax money Yeah. literally funding murder so yeah
0: uh, so I guess it's a weird question but like how did you get radicalized <laughs>
1: Well, when you're black and non-binary from a town that was roughly 97% white when I was growing up, I grew up outside of Tulsa in a small town called Sand Springs. And for a while, I didn't realize that I was different from everybody. It it kind of came little by little. And then I realized, oh, my dad doesn't look like everybody else's dad. I don't look like everybody else. My hair is not like everybody else's. And so little by little, I started recognizing the disparities between treatment that I would receive and my other black friends compared to my white counterparts. Mm. So racism is something that I've I've been aware of for a relatively long time. Then whenever you get to college, you get a little bit, you know, ex- <laughs> more exposed to things that definitely do radicalize you. Um, and yeah, it's hard to think of like a specific like instance or a point that you know kind of shifted my whole perspective on how we can deal with these things Mm. but it's definitely happened bit by bit I know everyone's on the we need to abolish the police train and yes we we do need to have radical police reform. but the thing is is like they're not going to let us do that Mm. so we it sucks that we can't just you know change it in the ways that we think would be best. But the way to fight the system is to use the system, Mm -hmm. which is (laughs) super boring and not fun. (laughs) But if you, if you play by the rules, then they sort of have to listen to you. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I'm learning is to use the system against the system.
0: Yeah. How do you, I guess in, in your, in your, Journalism, kind of as you said, you experience all of these traumatic stories. Uh, how do you like deal with it? <laughs>
1: yeah, so that's that's the hard part. It's like you you learn about all these things. You get off the Zoom call, you close your laptop, and it it doesn't leave you. Mm-hmm. Like nothing in life is ever that simple. So just self care. We're just going to keep preaching self care <laughs> over and over again, but self care is different. To everyone. So what? what I do, what really helps is to find a movie or a TV show, something that is completely the polar opposite of what I see on a day-to-day basis and just letting my mind go blank long enough to at least, you know, let the anxiety go for a second and be able to recoup and, you know, get ready for the next day. So just really trying to like teach myself to slow down mm-hmm. and while there's a lot to be done, not everything has to be done at once. And Mm -hmm. so just trying to remind myself to take time for yourself, because if you're not at your best, then you can't help people.
0: Yeah. And then I guess the balance that comes out of, uh, like you said, using the system to help fight the system. And it's rather difficult whenever you're sort of embedded in seeing all of the ways in which the system is used to hurt us and so how do you not like give up or even just like go the extra step and like ah fuck it all burn it all down (laughs) right
1: so the julius jones thing which took up the the better part of november for the black times um we'd been following um julius's case since last summer whenever um there started to be a bit more of a a statewide conversation about the death penalty in general. So at the beginning of November is whenever Julius was officially granted clemency or not granted clemency. He was recommended to get clemency by the pardon and parole board. And so the governor waited literally till the last minute before he said that he was going to commute his sentence to life without the possibility of parole, which is which is utterly insane. He, he knew that this was coming. He knew that this was a high profile case that needed to be addressed sort of promptly. Mm-hmm. And this man's life is on the line. Like not only are you playing with this man's life, you're playing with this man's family and their life and also the family of the victim, Paul Howe. So um, Julius's mom, um, Madeline Jones, she, she was starting to get you know, defeated by the time that, um, his execution date came, it was November 18th. Um, and Ty and I, we went down to McAllister because there was a lot of people down there waiting to just see what happened. And it was sort of unspoken, but everyone was kind of on the same train, train of thought that if they don't grant this man, you know, clemency, they don't commute his sentence we're going to, we're going to have to do something about it. And no, it wasn't anything that, you know, anybody mm-hmm. planned because like you're, you could get in trouble for that. Yeah. But everyone was kind of on the same mindset of like, we're going to have to do something. Mm-hmm. Like something has to be done. Like we're going to go in there. We're going to get him out. Like, which is almost impossible to do, sure. but we were all like, that's what we were going to do. Like we were <laughs> ready to do that. Yeah. And then whenever it was right at noon, um, we got the news that the governor released the statement of community commuting his sentence. And it was just like, and the the crowd just went crazy. Like I've never, I've never seen such joy. And like, it was, it was so intense. It was so insane, but we were there to work. Mm -hmm. So it was like, right into go time. I'm on like, I think I was on Instagram live um, from the Black Times account. And I'm just like holding my phone, you know, pointing at the crowd in the middle of, you know, whoever's talking, and tears are just like streaming down my eyes, which is it's it's it was beautiful. It was sad. Um, because like, you know, he life without parole is still it wasn't the outcome that we were looking for, but you know, we didn't have to see a man die that day. Mm-hmm so yeah it was it was super intense, but it it was it it's one of those things that um kind of makes this work worth it mm-hmm. whenever you get an outcome that's at least you know half of what you wanted, and that's kind of the thing about um political work and activism work is there has to be room for compromise, and sometimes it's unfortunate somebody is gonna you know always get the shorter straw, but compromise has to be had in order for things to know, go in a way that makes at least everybody half happy. So. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and then you said you were also a member of, I forget the specific words, <laughs> NAACP. Uh, yeah.
1: So the Oklahoma State NAACP, I am the environmental and climate justice chair. So I'm looking sorry at... Sorry for not remembering no, all you're, of those it's words. A, <laughs> it's so long. Like, even whenever I say it, I'm like, am I forgetting something? But yeah, it was a... That kind of happened at the end of August Um, and President Douglas, who is the Oklahoma State NAACP president, he approached me um, at a march that um, we sort of organized at the Capitol. And um, I told him about my piece that I wrote about environmental racism in the east side of Oklahoma City. He read it. He loved it. And he was like, I'm looking for somebody to, you know, focus on environmental issues in the black community in Oklahoma. And I was like, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I've that's been a lot of like outreach work, learning about what's going on in different communities, um, because, yeah, I know a lot about what's going on in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Mm-hmm. But as far as the rural rural parts of Oklahoma don't really know what's going on down there. So now I'm starting to learn a bit more about that um, and doing some work um, with the tribes about different issues that face them. Because even though NAACP is mainly for the black community, um, we're here for everybody. Yeah. like, And our native brothers and sisters have definitely, you know, not had the greatest, you know, Experience by the Oklahoma government forever. It's like Oklahoma was originally Indian territory, like Trail of Tears. This is where it ended. And then all of a sudden they decided that it's a gold mine for oil. And so they displaced the native community again. And yeah, it's just, it's completely unfair. And so learning how to stick up for other Brown and black, um, siblings is what we call them it's just another we're all a giant family Mm -hmm. so learning how to be there for one another um has also become a vital part to the work that we're doing
0: yeah what have you because I feel like through journalism you kind of have to like learn and be an expert about freaking everything (laughs) yeah what have you I guess learned through your activism and journalism
1: so the first thing that I had to learn was how local government works. Mm-hmm. So um, back in, I want to say, August of last year, um, the Board of County Commissioners voted to give, I want to say, $25 million of CARES Act money directly to the county jail. Mm-hmm. And CARES money is money that um, the state or county governments received from the federal government um, to help people who were affected by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the CARES money that the state got went to helping small businesses that had just started before the pandemic hit and could not afford to stay afloat on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the state got a lot of money through that, but the counties also got a lot of money and that wasn't something that a lot of people realized. Mm. And so whenever we heard this number that more than half of the cares act money given to the County was about to be given directly to the County jail. Everyone was like, no, 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 no. Like why, why is this happening? So I had to learn what the board of County commissioners even is. I was like, I don't know them. They just have to do with, you know, allotting money to different um, areas throughout the fiscal year and then um the jail trust otherwise known as the Oklahoma County Criminal Justice Authority i believe i might be saying the words wrong there's too many words in the world mm-hmm. but um that that board was established because the previous county sheriff didn't really want to deal with the the jail mm-hmm. he kind of just just like no there's too many issues i'm going to take a step back i'm going to hire other people to deal with it mm-hmm. and so Um, Yeah, we have this whole jail trust, which is also called a jail trust, because when you form a trust, (laughs) you don't have to have those people elected. They Mm -hmm. can be appointed. But if it's a board, then they have to be elected. So it's a weird little loophole that they did to kind of like get away with something they shouldn't necessarily be doing. So learning about all that, that definitely will radicalize you like (laughs) that'll get you there. So I had to learn about local county government, which was never something that I was, you know, incredibly interested in. And then we started focusing more on the state in general. And then I was like, okay, let's learn about state politics. And then I jumped into that and it's been it's been a whirlwind. But um It feels good to be educated on these things now so at least whenever something inevitably bad happens again um i know who to go to (laughs) yeah
0: yeah and it better informs your writing and better helps you inform other people so that they can take action what do you think is the like best thing anyone can do to be a successful activist
1: So activism is so much more than words. That's the, that's the main thing that I'm, I believe in. So back last summer we saw tons of people coming out to protest Mm. and then over several months, these numbers started to dwindle. And then as the numbers began to dwindle, um, the people who continuously showed up started to organize themselves. Mm. Um, and there were groups that existed obviously before everything happened and then grew a little bit, um, in size and community after everything of last year so to be a good activist <laughs> which is like i don't want to tell anybody what to do but it it is crucial to get involved with local organizations um whether it's the dsa um uprooted and rising which is um a local group that helps um black and brown farmers mm-hmm. they do they do um grocery drops, drop offs every month. So it's like a mutual aid fair that happens outside of Nappy Roots bookstore, the second Saturday of every month, I believe. And they um, give out resources, they give out bags of groceries. And it's honestly really fun. I've gone, I think, two months in a row now. And um, I give out copies of my article about um, environmental racism, which you know, it's good to have like conversations with that about people because people who live on the East side don't realize how unhealthy it is, or they realize that it's unhealthy, but they don't realize that, you know, there's potentially something that we can do about it. Mm. Like policy can always be changed. But, um, if you're looking to get involved in the Oklahoma city area, there's, there's so many organizations that need your help. UNR, like I mentioned, um, there's the DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, There's so many others. I can't even think there's the IWW, which is industrial workers of the world. Yeah. Lots of groups. So there's really, there's something for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter what your field of study is. Like if, if you're down to help, there's people who need your help. So
0: Mm -hmm. cool. Uh, if you don't have money, at least you can donate time.
1: Yes, exactly. Because I don't, I don't have a lot of money to give, but I've got a lot of time. <laughs> so,
0: um, going back to music, uh, because I can't transition uh, very well. But uh, do you think there is such a thing as bad music? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> i mean we we've all got a few
1: genres that were like no that's not it me personally i'm not i'm not too into country music i don't think it's bad but um traditional like pop country music it's it's so flat like that's the nicest <laughs> word that i could say it's it's flat um in terms of i don't i don't. Music is subjective. (laughs) So no music is, is bad as long as there's feeling behind it. But there are definitely genres that I don't click with. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my answer. There you
0: go. Uh, Do you separate art from the artist?
1: Ooh. Yeah. So whenever I was younger, I liked to know like everything there is to know about my favorite artist. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of, that can get the, Worst of you because then you start to compare yourself to people and like the status that they're at and how they got there at you know kind of a good time. But, um, where was I going with this? <laughs> what was the art question? from the artist? Okay, art from the artist, yeah. Um, so now whenever I listen to artists, I try not to find out a lot about them, like maybe where they're from and like other projects that they have, but I mean if an artist is going to do something that's ridiculously problematic and then refuses to take accountability or responsibility for that action. Um, I, yeah, I kind of start to pull away from that aspect of music. If there's some songs that they have that I've liked for a really long time, Mm -hmm. you know, I might still listen to it depending on what the thing is that they did. Obviously R. Kelly's out. He's Mm -hmm. gone. He never even existed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah. So if somebody like if something really bad like that happens, it's like, no, you're gone. I can't I can't support that in the least bit. But if it's just like something dumb that doesn't really matter, um, then, yeah, I kind of just like I blow over it. I don't take it
0: too deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, where where's the line for you? Obviously, R. Kelly is too far. But like is Kanye like
1: <sighs> So. Kanye I I loved him. I loved him. Hard <laughs> emphasis on the past tense. Yes. Um the music he makes nowadays, I don't I don't think it's good. Kudos to anybody who can still listen to it. Um I kind of gave up when Yeezus came out. <laughs> I mean, it was fun. There were a few songs I was like, this is interesting. But in terms of Kanye as a person and then the music he makes, it's like um I think, I think there's an issue with that that comes to how we treat black people who have mental illnesses. Mm. So obviously, um, Kanye has a very extensive history of things that he's done whenever he interrupted Taylor Swift on stage at the, I think it was the VMAs. And that was just like, whoa, like you can do that. (laughs) And it was like, it, it was rude for sure, but it wasn't necessarily, um, malicious mm-hmm. I think would be a good word for it so that was kind of just like okay bro I mean yeah Beyonce did have the best album of all time but like <laughs> that was that was kind of rude um so and we, we we saw that we heard about it and we knew everything that was going on with his you know personal life everything going on with his mom um and we still kind of scrutinized him mm-hmm. for that and then Another example that I'll bring up is Azalea Banks, who is, um, a black woman rapper from New York. And I was really into her in high school. Like it's very abrasive kind of like rap music, which I love. Mm -hmm. But then as, um, things started as, as her career began to grow and she became more popular and in the spotlight, she started saying some crazy stuff Mm -hmm. and doing some crazy things. And, um, it's also the same thing. It's like very obviously she has a mental illness um, and nothing was really being done to treat that. And she's still demonized every day in the media, uh, at least on Twitter. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so I think it's, I think it's worth having a conversation as to um, what if, if an artist or somebody famous does something wrong or something just a little bit, out of in bad taste mm-hmm. then kind of just like thinking about also like white artists who might've done something similar and the reaction that they got yeah. from the public and just being aware of these tiny discrepancies because they're not always super obvious, but just kind of being aware of this subtle racism that happens. It's a strong term to put with it. Cause obviously people do bad things all the time and race you know, doesn't really have anything to do with that, especially, you know, the R. Kelly thing again, doesn't have yeah. anything to do with race. Absolutely a total monster. Um, but yeah, whenever somebody has a very obvious mental illness and it's showing itself in sort of abrasive ways, just, you know, don't take it too seriously, especially if <laughs> nobody was directly harmed by it. If
0: it's just a bunch of talk. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, yeah. Uh, why music? why music
1: (laughs) well i can't draw so that was out um i think music just because it's been the most constant thing in my life um i've done it i've done it for so long that it's not even like a choice anymore like a conscious choice it's just like yeah it's it's what i do um and for a while i was like i'm not a very good creative i'm not even a very good piano player but that's not really what it's all about all the time. Um, I'm I'm trying to teach myself that it can be about having fun, mm. <laughs> um, especially when I j- joined Burl. Like they had been a band, I want to say for like three years before I joined, and everyone was you know pretty comfortable, pretty established within the band, the group itself. And I was like the last piece to be added. So I was like, I gotta catch up, I gotta be perfect, I gotta know everything by our very first show, which was oh, I was so nervous because it was like with the street cards, it's like we all started at the same time. But with this new band, it's like I'm the new element, and I I felt like I had to prove something to everybody. Um, and playing the keyboard is kind of great because you can, I call them cheat sheets. Mm-hmm. So if it's a new song or a cover song and I don't have all the chords necessarily mm-hmm. memorized, I like write them down and tape them to my keyboard yeah. where no one can see it. So I did that a lot. Um, I did that for the first roll show and then by our second one, I had everything down, but yeah, it was, it was really <laughs> kind of uncomfortable to kind of just join a band that's already established, mm-hmm. but all of them, they're such nice dudes. Like, mm-hmm. I've never met um, a group that's so wholesome and so much fun. And um, I I had to, like, remind myself that this is for fun. Mm-hmm. Like, no one's going to get mad at me if I play a wrong note. Like, maybe if I play every single note wrong, sure. but one or two, like, no one's going to come at me with torches or, <laughs> or something like that. So, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um. And then what's something people don't normally know about you?
1: Oh, What's something people don't know about me? I feel like I try to think of myself as an open book because I'll really just tell anybody anything that they ask from me. Mm. Um, but then I realize that um, maybe I'm not as crystal clear with the messages that I send. Mm. But something that I wish people knew about me that they don't. I don't know. I guess that I'm highly riddled with anxiety. Like (laughs) I, I do a lot of things where I put myself sort of in vulnerable positions, obviously playing to an audience is extremely vulnerable, um, going and record or going and, um, reporting. reporting, Thank you. See, you should be a journalist, not me, (laughs) but going and reporting on different things and having to ask, the hard questions that everyone needs to know, like that's incredibly nerve wracking. And also um, whenever we go to protests, it's, it's not rare for journalists to get arrested. Mm. I, I've never been arrested. I'm, I like to pride myself in um, dipping (laughs) at at the exact right moment. It's like, I'll push, I'll push the envelope just as far as I need to, to get um, everything that I need without, you know, putting myself at risk. And for a while I was like, am I a bad activist? Because I haven't been arrested yet. Because a lot of, a lot of my colleagues in the activist scene have, have gone to jail, but I'm, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm the person keeping people from going to jail. Like (laughs) I'm trying to keep everybody safe. So yeah, whenever, if you see me out in the field doing anything and you think that I've got it going on, just know that I'm, I'm trying to keep it together (laughs) as best as I can. Yeah. We're all trying our best. Oh, we're trying so hard. It's hard this day and age.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What advice do you have for people that are trying to do stuff that you do?
1: (sighs) Don't take yourself too seriously. Like that is the first thing. Um... I whenever I first, you know, started to think of myself as a journalist, I was like, I got to get a nice pair of pants. Like I got to get a dress shirt. Like I'm out here in Converse and like a graphic tee. Like I need to <laughs> I need to look the part. But the thing is, is like you don't really need to look the part if you're doing the thing that needs to be done. So practicing little bits of bravery, um, even when you don't want to. I like to, I like to say that vulnerability will typically be rewarded, not always, Mm -hmm. but if you're vulnerable with yourselves, whether it's asking a question or performing a show, then you will get a response. It might not be the one you're looking for, but, you know, sort of opening yourself up leads you to new experiences and new opportunities. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Switching gears to the deep questions that make bit depth, bit depth. Let's get it. (laughs) What is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? So this is like the one question
1: that I had seen ahead of time and I was like, spirituality. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So um, I'll just start with religion for me and my, my story with that. So growing up, originally my mom was taking my brother and I to a Methodist church and then after like a year or so of that, and I started to, you know, kind of start to become a real child and like <laughs> learn things and start to have opinions. I just straight up asked her, I was like, why do we go to church? And she was like, oh, we don't have to, if you don't want to. And I was like, oh, uh, okay. I mean, I, I would love to stay home on one of the, you know, two days of the weekend. So yeah, if we don't have to go, I'd love that. So <laughs> Religion was never forced upon me. But growing up in Oklahoma, which is the buckle of the Bible belt, as they say, it's sort of all around you. And so even though it was something that I was never forced to do, it felt like something that I had to do. Mm -hmm. So I looking back on it, I call myself a fake Christian. Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I was sort of going through the motions. I started going to church with different friends because it's what they did. They went to church on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. So I was like, I mean, I don't do that. And everybody's talking about how much fun they had. So I guess I'll start going. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, even in middle school, I was very aware of like, this is <laughs> this is kind of like slightly cultish, at least like Southern baptism in terms of that. And I remember I was at church with my friend one time and I was like, this is basically a book club. And she was like, you can't say that. And I was like, oh, um, OK, but we're all here for one book. Yeah. So it's a book club. But yeah, when I got into high school, I was still, you know, going to church every now and then with some friends. But um I was just like no I'm not I'm not really fitting in I was going to like mostly white churches which was is a whole other thing like I remember somebody asking me like what I was and I was like oh I'm mixed half and half and he was like yeah my my granddaughter is mixed too and we were wondering if she was going to come out polka dotted and I'm like you can't say that to somebody you can't polka dotted that don't happen it's like that is not a thing so yeah, even though that guy was obviously trying to make a joke and be like lighthearted and funny, it's just like that that makes somebody uncomfortable.
0: It also just implies that like you're a freak, right?
1: Right. And so it's just yeah, I was like I don't I don't know how I feel about this whole like organized religion thing. So I took a step back from that and then was like I'm an atheist. I'm just an atheist. There is no god. I don't believe in god. And um as sort of just like a way to reject the, the status quo of Christianity. I just went super hard the other direction. Um, then when I got to college and, um, my anxiety started to become a super prominent thing in my life, I got a little bit more into meditation. Um, having parents who are therapists definitely <laughs> will teach you a thing or two about learning how to slow your thoughts, um, whenever they start to get the best of you. So I, um, sort of morphed into focusing on spirituality as opposed to religion. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't even want to say that it's because of drugs, (laughs) but like certain times, like whenever you do drugs, as like an, um, an early adult, you kind of like, you know, I guess show yourself a light that you hadn't seen before you, you open your mind. I'm not telling people to do drugs. I'm not saying don't do drugs, but, um, (laughs)
0: yeah <laughs> i'm saying do
1: drugs I, i'm saying do drugs it'll it'll help you at least a little bit and if it doesn't help you then you don't have to do it again um so yeah i um one night i was just i was just thinking about every issue in the world and i i came to the conclusion that at the basis of every issue is a lack of love And if we all just treated each other with the same amount of love that we want to show ourselves and that we want to receive ourselves, then there would be a lot less pain out there. Um, Obviously, it's really hard to change a collective thought to that. So um, just like trying to practice that in my own life, which is obviously still really hard. Like I people get mad. You're allowed to get mad. You're allowed to hate things. Um, But kind of just like remembering that Hate is an emotion that's a product of fear. And so think about why you hate something so much and think about what scares you about it. And then maybe it'll f- change the way that you view things. And so um, I started get started getting into tarot cards, mm-hmm. and just kind of like pulling cards, seeing where we're at, just letting the random chance of the universe sort of um, give me perspective about, about what's going on. And I, I took a, step back from that too for a little while, but I've recently got back into it. Like anytime I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't have a direction. Like, what do I do? I'll just like pull a couple cards and then I'll pull some more to find out what those cards mean. And yeah, it's, it's fun and it's lighthearted, but it'll also, if you're not, you know, looking for something too hard, it'll kind of like gently push you in your subconscious direction that you actually want to go in. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it's like magic and the universe is directly speaking to me through that, but you're speaking to yourself through that because you perceive what you want to perceive ultimately. So... Yeah, it it definitely helps unlock what you're unconsciously feeling and what you you kind of want to ignore and push away and it forces you to come to terms with it and do something about it. So, yeah, I've been been on my spiritual journey in that way just trying to honor myself and what I truly want and not um you know, take anything less.
0: Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> what is your definition of God?
1: Mm, That's a good one. That's a good one. So when I think of God, I I think of everything. Whenever I was little, um, I used to think of God and Santa Claus as like the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I just pictured like these two dudes in like a matrix, like set up with like a million monitors and they could just see what everyone Mm -hmm. was doing at once. Um, But now that I'm
0: Older. I kind you see of see that they're sharing the same monitors. Yes, Why would they have look, two separate right. monitors? They're if the they're same just, person. Yeah.
1: Turns out God and Santa Claus, same all along. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but um I I like to think of God as just the the natural order of the universe. Um, everything. I don't know if I believe in um like destiny versus free will. We're
0: getting to that question. Too.
1: <laughs> okay, well, we'll get there. But, um, God in terms to me is, it's the trees outside. It's the clouds in the sky. It's the sun. It's the moon. It's the stars. It's this microphone sitting right here next to me. It's clothes that I'm wearing. It's my hair. It's your kitty cats. Like God is, um, anything around me that, um, makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel secure and makes you feel like you're, you're, you know, going in the right direction. So, I try to listen to nature as much as I can, whether it's the birds, if the birds are doing something strange, I'm like, there's an air coming in like something wicked this way comes. (laughs) So yeah, I, I might look too deeply into signs. (laughs) I'm definitely a very superstitious person and I'm always looking for a sign to, to change my life and quit everything and just move. (laughs) But yeah. Um, I don't even and like saying that it's God feels so like holy and heavenly but I really I really do believe in the natural order of the universe and that sort of everything does happen for a reason even if you know the reason has a terrible outcome like it's it's preparing you for something or it's setting you up for something great
0: mm-hmm
1: which is, it's hard to see that in like times of turmoil and like utter despair. But yeah, some of the darkest things that like I've gone through in my life have prepared me for very, for more difficult things that I have to do in my life. Um, even if they're not personal, even if it's in my professional life, like I said, there's, there's terrible things that I have to witness on a day-to-day basis and sort of the terrible things that I've gone through, um, and how that made me feel as, you know, whatever um, position I held in those circumstances helps me better um, cultivate a story and give an honest story about somebody
0: else's truth. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Then the free will question. What is free will? Is there it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I, I think that there. There is free will. I, I think that everything does happen for a reason, but there's always two possible outcomes. Mm. So you could either make a decision that leads to this version of free will or make another decision that leads you to something else. So that's it's kind of hard to explain. And I'm doing a lot of hand motions for yeah, people yeah. who can't see my hands. Um, so, yeah, I think. Obviously, we all can make our own choices Mm -hmm. and our choices will lead us to different places. Um, But as far as like things being predetermined, I believe that there's sort of like a a rough outline in terms of schoolwork. There's a rough outline Mm -hmm. (laughs) of various things that are set to happen in your life. And based on the decisions you make, you'll receive various outcomes, but still relatively all central to the same idea mm. yeah so like whenever I you know I started piano I did piano for a long time and I I always thought that I could do like solo music and I could you know make it on my own and just do everything on my own and then um I just I was like no I don't I don't like being alone like <laughs> that <laughs> and so I I kind of made the conscious choice to start you know I I I sought out the street carnations. I was like, I want to be a part of a group. I want to do something as a collective and make something beautiful that we're all proud of and have a shared experience. Mm -hmm. And so even though I was preparing myself to do things on my own, like I ultimately ended up flourishing in a group and I, I love it and
0: I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) A good path to take. (laughs) What do you think happens when we die?
1: I turned 25 in August, so I don't know what it is about 25, but it's just like existential, like, let's get it. Like, we got to figure out what's going to happen for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. So in terms of what happens after we die, I don't, I don't know. Obviously, no one knows. But what I what I like to believe, what I hope happens is you kind of just float. I know that sounds. Have you seen the movie Enter the Void? I'm going to so it's it's a movie about dmt so first you get to see somebody do dmt (laughs) which is like okay cool but then that man dies and then you get to see the dmt trip that your brain releases whenever you die Mm -hmm. and so um he's kind of like floating over the world after he dies he gets to see you know where his sister's at he kind of goes back in time for a moment to look at his past but it's um the whole time thing kind of goes out the window time is sort of an illusion already so he's able to freely move between different planes if that makes sense so whenever we die i really hope that i can just like float over the earth for a while you know see what there is to see float through the clouds i love the clouds and then just free flow through space Mm -hmm. honestly for eternity i think i'd be okay with that um I love the sky. I don't know what it is. I'm just like, I'm obsessed with clouds. I'm obsessed with stars. So if I could float forever,
0: I'd do it. Cool. (laughs) Where am I? There I am. Uh, (laughs) How do you determine what good behavior is? (sighs) (laughs) So good behavior.
1: Um, I'm always down for people to go through turmoil. I know that's <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> super scary, but we all go through crazy things at least once in our life, something that's absolutely just like knocks you on your ass and you don't know where to go from there. And you're allowed to go through very, very low points in your life. But the issue um, that I have is whenever you make your issues other people's issues. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, whenever I, um, can get in a really, you know, bad mood, a sort of, um, I guess harmful mood, not only to like myself and my mentality, but to the people around me, I try to separate myself from that for a while, take a step back, be on my own, figure out why I'm so mad. Um, yeah, but My main issue is um, if you've got issues that you're not dealing with and you're trying and you're trying so hard not to face it and not to deal with it, that you're inadvertently pushing it onto other people, causing problems for them that are stemming from your problems, that that does not qualify as good behavior. Sure. So just being aware of, you know, the way you are as a human, like no one's going to have a good day every single day and just, you know paying attention to ways that you can protect your mentality and protect the mentality of other people whenever you're not feeling good. And honesty, honestly, you being honest is like, I'll never be mad at it. Like if you tell me that you're not feeling it, you're in a bad mood, you're mad at something. I will, I will talk with you through it. We can find a way, but if you try to like force me to like fix that issue or if you're mad at me and you don't let me know what's going on in your life and you're just being super rude Mm -hmm. then like i'm i'm gonna have to like take a step back from you until you can figure it out (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. yeah (laughs) how do we reduce the division between people oh
1: division i i (laughs) I spent a lot of time focusing on that division um and yeah, it it's hard there. I've definitely met a fair few people who grew up in a family or a community that was relatively, you know, racist, homophobic, whatever, whatever ailment they have. And um, the way that they've sort of like realized that that thought of that mode of thinking is, you know, not necessarily acceptable or right or good or moral um is to you know expose yourself to people who are not like you so as as much as it hurts (laughs) um asking people who have opinions that are very different from yours how they got that opinion and learning to understand how they got there is is definitely a way to ease the division there i I don't want to say that it's like 100% possible to get rid of division completely. Obviously there's always going to be things that, you know, not everyone can agree on everything and that's okay. We're all allowed to be human. Um, But there needs to, there needs to be an ominous conversation about like, what is a product of systemic racism or systemic and like cultural um, thinking that has established itself over many, many years. And you know, what is actually logical. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, just having lots of conversations, even though they're hard and they're uncomfortable, if you know where someone is coming from, you can better combat other people like that in the future who may not be as willing to have open dialogue conversations as to why they think the way that they think. Yeah.
0: (laughs) What do you think humanity is heading towards in the future
1: well someone who focuses on the environment a lot of the time (laughs) we're headed for doom (laughs) um which is oh my god portal sorry it's on the tv i i played that game i played the, the first and second game over the summer for the first time and i i loved it it's such a good game Okay, what well, were we talking about? Doom. We are talking about how the world is doomed. <laughs> A different game. <laughs> A different game. But, um... So, the thing is, obviously our environment is in peril. The climate crisis is the crisis of our generation. It's uh, It's going to affect us. It's going to affect our kids. It's going to affect our kids' kids. And the thing is, is we can't have division if there's no people left. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> We kind of need to get our get our shit together and focus on, you know, the thing that we need in order to all survive. Mm. We need to have clean air. We need to have, you know, a temperature, a world basis temperature that isn't too hot or too cold. So we can continue to have mass agriculture to feed the billions of people that live on this planet. There's basically everything that we need has to have, you know, environmentalism at the core. If we're not paying attention to how we treat the planet, or um, just anything along that line, then we won't have the option to fight for anything else in the future. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to stay positive about um, the climate crisis, but there's there's a lot of people doing you know the really hard work and the necessary work. And so, just you know, being mindful of how we treat the people on the planet can ultimately, you know give us the future that we can all live in. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, and just do everything you can, man, to, <laughs> to keep the world clean and healthy. Like we got to do it.
0: Yeah. What are you optimistic about for our future?
1: <sighs> so there I've met so many like amazing people who are, who are doing the really hard work, whether it's, you know, with environmentalism, with politics, with activism, with music, like, Music brings everybody together. Like it, it's truly insane. I, I like I said, I went to oh we weren't recording during that, but I I've seen seven bands play over the past three days, and like very very different types. Like Saturday was a local show. Like we played with a band called Net, and they were awesome. Like they were so good. They were killer. And then Sunday, I saw Jeff Rosenstock in Dallas. And then last night, I saw Destroy Boys at 89th Street. And these are all very, very different types of music. But everyone is still looking out for one another. Like, there, there are ways to be there for everybody, even if they're different from you. So just finding your community and really like living in it and just like supporting one another is like so crucial. And it like, it's scary <laughs> to like make new friends and like establish new groups. But like, like I said, like everyone who does these mutual affairs with me, like they all have this mentality of like, we are here for each other. Like we all need to help one another. And so just like, yeah, I really like to see everybody supporting each other like that. So more of
0: that. That's what I need.
1: (laughs) What we all need.
0: Yeah. What makes you content?
1: Mm -hmm. So I I was thinking about this on Saturday before I played my show. Cause like I've, I've been so busy. I don't know what it is about December, but it's like Christmas time is here. Everyone's like, we gotta do everything now. And, um, I was like, I just want to lay in bed and like (laughs) watch scary YouTube videos, like on my laptop. Like that would make me so content. Um, but then like uh, I went to all these shows and I was like, this is actually like really fun. Like I'm so glad that I didn't just stay at home, even though that's like I'm comfortable with it. I'm content with it. Um, but yeah, just I also find myself to be relatively content whenever I push myself, you know, outside of my normal boundaries and yeah, experience things that I would normally kind of like shy away from if I'm not like if my anxiety's bad or if I'm feeling a little depressed and I don't want to go out. If I force myself to do it, I end up feeling a lot better. So Mm -hmm. learning how to force myself in a way that's not too forceful or like, you know, perfectionist has been really good.
0: When will you be satisfied?
1: Oh, (laughs) when will I be satisfied? So, um, I don't know. I really want to. In terms of my own life, like I'm relatively simple to be able to sustain myself, like not have to rely on other people necessarily for like, you know, financial reasons that, that, that is the goal personally to be able to, you know, have a good house so I can like have my mom live with me once she retires and, you know, take care of her as best as I can. Um, yeah, I just, I'm I'm trying to set up a future that, um, I can take care of the people who've took taken care of me um, for the past, you know, seven years since I've been out of high school. It's yeah. Like I've, I've changed my mind. I've changed my major like five different times. I've changed schools. Like I've, I've just been trying to find the the right avenue for myself and I've been incredibly lucky to have people around me who support me <laughs> like I, I'm not really making a lot of money <laughs> so uh, I've got my boyfriend and he's he's excellent and I've got my mom and just everyone in my life has done uh, a really good job of making sure that like you know I've got everything I need um, and I just want to be able to do that for them yeah. one day so that's when I will be satisfied is when everyone around me has what they need <laughs>
0: cool <laughs> What advice do you have for people in general?
1: Oh, in general, I'm so bad at advice. (laughs) Let's see. Let me think. What do I tell my friends the most? Um, I just, I try to tell my friends to not be so hard on themselves. I have a lot of friends who are working really, really hard um, to establish their lives and they, they don't have the help that the help that I have and they're doing amazing jobs. Like they're truly kicking ass. And so um every opportunity that I get, I I try to tell my friends how proud I am. And I for a long time was not um like a mushy gushy person who's always like, I love you. I love you so much. I want to give you a hug. But like I I I've learned to do that. Like now I'm like, yes, we can hug. Like I'm okay with it. Like I I embrace it. But um, yeah, I have I have so many friends who who have done things that are so incredibly hard that I couldn't imagine, like moving to a different state that's, you know, several hours away from everything that they've ever known and like been comfortable with their entire lives. And they've established themselves and they They um, may not be like where they necessarily want to be at for the rest of their lives, but they've they've built something for themselves that is so incredible and truly it's so hard to do to create something from absolutely nothing. And they've all done just such an amazing job and they're so inspiring. And so I just try to let everyone know how proud I am of them. So whenever you're proud of somebody, fucking tell them, like, what's like, like, what are you going to lose from that? Like, let them know. And if your friends are creatives and you can't, you know, actually, buy any of their stuff, you don't have the physical the, the needs <laughs> or means to do that, then um, share their work, like repost it. Like, what are you going to lose from a retweet or posting something on your Instagram story? Like there, there's so many ways to support people other than giving them money. Um, attention really, really does do a lot for people. And even if, you know, it doesn't you know, result in anybody buying something directly from them, people at least will know about it now and they'll feel appreciated. So yeah, support your friends. Tell everybody about your friends and all the good work that they do and never let them think that they're anything other than amazing.
0: Yes. (laughs) Lastly, potentially, most importantly, cake or pie?
1: (sighs) Okay, okay. (laughs) So I... Um I'm a very bad cook. Like I I will either burn the food or myself. Like that is my that's what I do. I have so many burns all over my body. Um whenever if it's me if I'm making something it's going to be a pie and it's either going to be a peach pie or a pear pie. Those are the only two that I got. Those are the only two you'll ever get. Um but in terms of what I want, like if it was my birthday, I'd want a strawberry shortcake. Like that's what I need. That's what I have to have. But when I do eat cake, I, I don't eat the icing. (laughs) I don't, I don't like icing. I just, I want the, I want the moist. I know people hate that word, but I want the, (laughs) I want the actual cake. And I'm not, I'm not really a chocolate person. Like I don't, I don't like chocolate candy bars, but chocolate cake for some reason is like out of this world Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you're going to bring me something, it's got to be a cake. But if I'm going to make you something, it's going to be a pie. There you go.
0: Amazing. Anna, thank you so much for doing this with me. This has been a lot of fun. Where can people find you and your things?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, like I was super stoked whenever you reached out. Um, If you want to know about what I do in my personal life, my Instagram is floricurl, which is F-L-O-R-I-C-U-R-L. And then if you want to know what I do with my work life, then my Instagram and my Twitter are at TBT Anna. That's where I post all my Black Times work, all my environmentalism work. And if you want to know about Burl, we're on Instagram. I believe it's B-U-U-R-R-L. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we're working on an album, which will hopefully be out sometime next year.
0: (laughs) That's what we're all saying, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, (laughs) Like, it's a miracle that the Street Cards had an album come out this year because we'd been planning that for a while. But I'm supposed to record my part on Friday. So, yeah, I'm super excited. But, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of
0: course. Uh, I was, uh, well, the order of things. Uh, uh, Once again, thank you so much. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Anna Littlejohn. And now here's Sailor Moon by the Streetcar Nations. You can find everything that I do on my website, santiagoramones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I made. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can buy it on Bandcamp because a single purchase is the monetary equivalent of streaming it all day, every day, for about a week. I'm working on an album, so if you'd like to hear that at some point... You can buy my music, or you can support me on Patreon. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. If you like the podcast, leave comments on social media, leave reviews saying how much you like the podcast, and tell your friends about it. I want to help the world have deeper conversations. So thank you for listening to and supporting BitDeck. I was in the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.